and welcome to Fulcrum Transmissions, a Star Wars podcast. Thank you for joining us this week. As a reminder, we are bi-weekly until the Ahsoka series releases, so episodes will be uploaded every other Monday, and any changes to that schedule will be posted on our Twitter and TikTok at Fulcrum Pod, and on Instagram at Fulcrum Podcast, so be sure to follow us on any of those for previews and information about upcoming episodes. And my name is Claire, my pronouns are she, her, and you can find me on TikTok and on Twitter, as long as it's still with us, as Claire Kreese. Um, I'm Jenny. And I'm Aria. We're from uh, at Emphis and Ember on Twitter. And Tumblr. And Tumblr. Exactly. Um, and we can also promote, we did a comic. It's called Senesia. You can find the link in our Twitter bio. As long as that's still around, as yeah. Claire said. <laughs> uh, I'm Leah. My pronouns are she, her. Uh, you can find me on pretty much any social media at uh, Deus Ex Valorate. Uh, I don't really have anything else in particular to promote. I just show up on other people's podcasts. What a slay. <laughs> um, hi, I'm Kels. My pronouns are they, them, they, she. I'm confused. I don't want to think about it right now. It's fine. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sansa Skywalkers and on TikTok at Discount Sansa Stark. And uh, occasionally on the Queer Ascendancy, whenever we do post, our, our Pride episode did not happen this month because I was burnt out. And uh, also we couldn't really breathe in our cities. So <laughs> hopefully we'll have something soon. I don't know. And we forgot pronouns. I'm he, him. I use she, her. Um, so obviously Sage is, is not with us today, but she's here in spirit. Um, and we are here to talk about the High Republic phase two, the entire phase. Um, we're going to try thing. to fit it in one episode. Yeah, it's going to be a struggle, but we're going to do it. <laughs> um, so this is your general spoiler warning for literally everything we are going to talk about everything up until the very end of the phase um so if you unless you like really don't care about spoilers if you haven't read anything you should do that first um and before we get into the actual like books comics whatever I want everyone to go around and say your favorite character from this phase with like a brief something you like about them why they're your favorite whatever um well I can start uh so my favorite character from this phase and also currently tied for my first favorite Star Wars character period is uh, Yana Rowe. Um, she's gay, she's sad, she's angry, she's hot. Uh, she exemplifies the struggle of going against what you were raised to believe about yourself and about the world. I I love her so much and I can't wait to talk about her way too much. Real, real. Real so real. <laughs> okay. So it is a no surprise to anyone that my favorite character is Ziri Barin. Um I I mean, yeah, I also love her because she is sexy. She's a sexy redhead that isn't evil, which is rare in Star Wars, I feel, when it comes to gingers. Um but yeah, I just, her entire story arc, I just relate to it so much. And I love how fiery she is and that she literally found her person that, like, literally completes her and calms her down. 
and compliments her really well and I just and like lets her feel like safe where she can actually express emotion after being raised the way that she was she's also very aerial coded so that's that's that (laughs) so I'm unfortunately thinking of three so I'm gonna put like dashes between them and pretend it's one long character um Axel Greylark Marta Rowe and I have to throw in Raph Thatchburn in there because I've been thinking about Raph and Alec way too much uh the last few days (laughs) that's real um you know, I'd have to say my favorite character is probably also Yana, Yana's supremacy. Um, but other than that, probably Sav. Um, I just love THRA so much. And Sav is like the best. I already loved her so much from Court's arc in phase one. And then it's like, she has such a great arc. The like finding where she belongs and stuff, it, it hit really hard. I really love her. Yeah, I also think I'm gonna have to name more than one. Um, I feel like if you really made me pick one, I would say Fontu Zen. Um, what? yeah, <laughs> we're really representing um Ziri and Fontu well on this podcast. Yeah. I just love him. Yeah, it's it's a lot of it comes from his relationship with Ziri. I just think the two of them together is like so good. Like I am not normally rooting for a straight couple, but like here we are. Um, not that I think either of them are straight, but bye for bye. Exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, I just think that like the two of them coming together, despite this whole like literally centuries long war between their two planets that we know goes on for another like century and a half because the High Republic Phase One exists. Um, but yeah, I just love like the two of them coming together, and he he is a character that is very much like has a commitment to being a good person and doing what is right and in this phase in particular I feel there are a lot of not good people which is also very fun like I do love that as well um but he's just such like a good guy and I love that um and my follow-up character is Enya Keen because I have to mention her I love her so much she's we love a 20 year old (laughs) um I literally it took me until like the end of convergence to actually realize that she was a 20 year old and I was like wow she's just like me I'm also 20 but you wouldn't know it from the way I act um also I just think she's slay and you know what no I was gonna talk about cataclysm actually but we'll get there when we get there we'll get there eventually we'll get there when we get there we won't stop we will not stop um that being said um, we're going to start off kind of with the young adult novels, Path of Deceit and Path of Vengeance, um, and maybe stick to that and maybe not. We'll see what happens. Be proud of me, guys. I read Path of Vengeance and I finished it an hour and a half before we <laughs> recorded this. Well, I finished Cataclysm like two days ago. Lay! So. Um... Path of Deceit. I haven't read that since October, so a little fuzzy, but... You you go, Leah. You got this. Yeah. Uh, I reread Path of Deceit before Path of Vengeance came out. Um, Path of Deceit. Um, so the YAs of this phase, um, in contrast to phase one, are kind of the heart of like how it connects to um, the other phases, or at least that's what it seems like. We really can't know. Um, obviously, the uh, 
forever war between Irem and Arano connects to phase one, connects to uh, what we learned in phase one uh, with Kovac and Orla. But, uh, you, you know, the YAs are where we get the stories of the Evereni, uh, the Roe family specifically, and um, their disgusting, horrible, terror murder dogs. I love them so much. <laughs> yeah, they're just little guys. They're just funky um, little guys. They're just they're just out. hungry. Um, they're just, yeah, they just love food. Yeah. Um, and you know, as the names of the two books suggest, Path of Deceit and Path of Vengeance, um, they both focus on the path of the open hand. Um, we'll put a pin in that name. We lo- we um, love Nihil Origins. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's and I mean the path of the open hand are such a well-written antagonist no. organization. You you know it's well written when it triggers all of my religious trauma to the point where I almost couldn't finish Path of Vengeance because I related to Marta a little too well. And I'm like, I'm just reading about me when I was brainwashed. Can I mean, we not? I mean, it's got it's got all the hits. It's got Ugh. speaking in tongues. It's got, um, it's it's got uh purity culture. It's got, um, it's it's got uh in groups that are more toxic than the out group, and yet you desperately want to be let into the in group. Um, <laughs> it's really just hitting all the hits. Uh, a charismatic leader who nobody questions. Um, <laughs> you know, looks it's, good, but has really bad ulterior motives that they're trying to hide. Exactly. Um, and you know, both of these books they focus on yes, this whole group, but specifically on uh, two young women who are members of this group who are cousins, Marta and Yana Rowe. Um, the Roe family. The Roe family continues to be a mess, and we love them. I need, um, yeah, I need a TV show. Keeping up with the Roe family. That's up. I would watch that. I would watch that. Oh forever. my god! And <laughs> I mean, from the get go of Marta and Yana's story, it's like these girls were not set up for success. They were, they were basically survivors of a pogrom. And then their mothers left them with the path. Uh, And it's like, that is one um, really interesting comparison to two other characters who we'll get to eventually in phase two, Gela, Natai, and and Vildar Mack, who were both, uh, and actually also Kev Mozink in this book, uh, all of whom were either orphaned or abandoned and taken in by the Jedi. Yeah, you know, interesting parallel. Um, but uh, and immediately the fact that they're Evereni is like a strike against them, and they're ostracized and they're pushed to the outskirts of the group. Um, which for Yana works just fine because she doesn't think that she can trust anyone and this just reaffirms that for her uh but marta who's you know a little little kid when this happened 
um, is just so desperate for love and validation, you know, because she's a little kid and that's what kids need, um, that she just really, really wants to be the best half member that she can be. And she carries that all the way into the books. And it leads her on such like, well, a path of vengeance, not (laughs) (laughs) like it kind of, it's just so interesting how her, where her story takes her and from being, she needs to, she needs to prove herself and prove herself and prove herself. And even, even when she's in path of vengeance, I guess, jumping there, like taking control of the path, I'd argue she still doesn't like within herself feel like it's enough and feel like she's done enough. Um, And it results in like her lashing out and anger and like, I mean, she chops off Yana Rose's hand and and minutes later is like with like talking to Yana and like apologizing. And it's like, it's like all that built up and um like all that uh that feeling of not being enough and for the path, it kind of just builds in her and builds in her in this very natural, progressive, like progressive way over these two books. Yeah. Still a little upset we didn't get a don't forget your hand, Yana. Yeah. That was, the way that was the first thing I thought of when that scene happened. I was like, wow, if there's one thing a row is going to do, it's chop off someone's hand. hand. Chop off someone's hand with a yellow lightsaber. Um, a yellow lightsaber taken from... Yeah, yeah. We were we were talking we were about talking this before, about how there's like the row-isms of taking a yellow lightsaber from a level Jedi. Jedi. Something about Rose with Mar names. Um, <laughs> um, though I guess Markion isn't his real name. Maybe his real name is Yonkion, and he decided to change <laughs> his name to match the ancestor he closer matched. Um, he really is just a great, great, great grandma's boy. That's what he is. That's a great, great, great grandma's boy. I keep forgetting that like Asgar Row happened in between. Asgard and Shala happen in between like we've got a couple generations before Markion like in my head I was like wow and then came Martian Rowe and I was like no actually there were like multiple generations in between but he's just following closely in Mardo's footsteps unlike a certain other character whose name starts with Mar uh, we don't meet uh, we don't meet his mother in this phase um (laughs) in these books we'll get to her um <laughs> but um yeah path of deceit you know everything um fine and dandy for the path of the open hand um you know they're um uh, performing their secret rights and uh not allowing marta to participate and making her feel less than so that she'll try even harder and like keep doing more even though she's not getting anything for it um when uh everything gets thrown off kilter because the people who they hate the most in the entire galaxy find out about them and show up at their doorstep that's a cute little pintorin he's never done anything wrong in his life it was literally jim hawkins because this intro is him on like a space glider thing I i was like i can't do this yeah path of deceit was truly such a great introduction to this phase because it reminds me that the high republic is about little guys who've never done anything wrong and getting murdered. 
Often the leveler, in fact. That's the thing with these two young adult novels, too, is that I think that they had something that the adult novels in phase one had was that, like, some of the moments in them were, like, really scary. Like, yeah, when Kevmo gets leveled, and even in, like, Path of Vengeance, like, oh my god, what? I don't know, everything with the levelers. I can't even pinpoint a specific moment, but, like, it's genuinely, like, scary to read in the way that I think the leveler was in like the end of the rising storm and in like trail of shadows and the fallen star in the first phase a lot of that got like carried over to the young adult novels and also part of it is like Kevin scott can write a scary monster um but yeah like there were moments where i was reading it i was like okay i just remembered that the leveler is actually terrifying He's not just a cute little doggy. Exactly. Especially like the baby levelers. I was like, oh, they're so little. And then they're like sucking the life out of people. And I was like, oh, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The levelers were played so well in these books um, because we no longer have to keep them like a secret, like phase one kind of did until we finally saw them in Trail of Shadows and Eye of the Storm. Um, they're kind of allowed to be out in the open, especially because we have so many, um, compared to phase one, non-force sensitive, like main central characters in this phase, um, especially in the books, um, where we'll have pretty much like one major Jedi and then their non-Jedi companions. Um, so in Path of Deceit, it's Tevmo, and then Marta and Yana. Uh, Path of Vengeance, it's Maddie and then Marta and Yana. Um, so because of that, you're able to have these people whose vision is not affected by um, the leveler's aura of fear or whatever. Um, and instead, they can just appreciate it for how viscerally horrible it is just naturally without its weird force stuff going on it's glowing and it's kind of throbbing and it's got tentacles all over it and it grows way too fast and um every way that it is described it just feels wrong not like it's being described incorrectly but like it shouldn't like it's something that shouldn't exist and um that was very clear in phase one from like a jedi perspective of like something is very wrong here i can't touch the force everything is scary what's happening but to get it from the perspective of someone who is completely unaffected by the leveler who the leveler could not care less about if they don't have the magic stick of controlling the leveler um yeah just fantastic and that's why it's it always feels so unnatural when it's described as like someone's holding it like a dog like with the the uh the the rods yeah um or like when when they describe like the mother's just sitting there and it's like laying on the ground next to her it always feels like at any second like especially the way cabin describes it in path of vengeance any second it's just gonna like break loose and that's always like it kind of just it puts you on ease constantly when they're around even if it's like sitting there like a little puppy <laughs> i was just gonna say the end of this phase had because yeah you're the whole phase you're like we know the leveler still exists in phase one and we know that like 
it's still largely a mystery and so every time a Jedi was around the leveler I was like either you're going to die or like something because you obviously like are not going to be telling anyone about any of this because we know that 150 years down the line they're still like so what is this thing and this like the end of this phase had so many moments where I was like I need to like reach through the page and be like stop what are you doing like and partially at like the end of Cataclysm I was like I'm going to start killing people um, but even like when Maddie's like I could have sworn I saw some like monsters but like no that'd be crazy and I was like no Maddie like I need you to trust what you were seeing and um Aslan Rel when he's like going crazy quote-unquote at the end and like scribbling all over like pieces of paper which that whole scene was like crazy and being like they're gonna turn everyone to dust and Maddie's like oh we're gonna get you the help you need and I'm like no <laughs> if you listen to him like so many people would still be alive please yeah Aslan with the like when he wrote down the Shri Rai lullaby in this one was like a haunting scene it's like oh and like path edge of balance <laughs> I think it's also the fact that there's never really like physical paper in Star Wars so the fact that he's like mm-hmm. scrawling this on like actual paper I was like imagine if we had just listened to him I know no but it's also the fact that they had to go to this weird ass planet to find these eggs showing how unnatural these creatures are that they should not have left the planet they were on because it was so hard to get in and out of there I'm kind of obsessed uh, with the I whole, kind of... <laughs> like the force will die chant if they were that was crazy like when I was reading that and suddenly all their minds started moving and sync. I was like whoa <laughs> yeah when on? when like collar is like inside their heads while they're oh like oh my god was I'm like creepy. and how he like didn't have a mouth he just had like eyes and would just like stare at you and be in your head I was like that's literally terrifying oh yeah. it's terrifying I firmly this is path of vengeance the you know going to planet x we're skipping around uh i firmly believe that the mother very intentionally sent people with like that kind of latent force ability um on the planet x trip a little field trip um (laughs) uh mission trip if you will uh sent them um one because i I really do think that it was supposed to be like Felge part two, like how in Path of Deceit she sends her children, the the elite in group, um, Yana, Kor, uh, Cincy, and um, Trees. Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, and I, I forgot about him because I hate him. Um, is he the one who's probably related to Zimrala? <laughs> He's the one who's the pink Mickeyan and probably related to Zimrala, yeah. But the mother sent them to go die on this mission. Um, but also to like get her something in return. Um, I think that the, the Planet X journey was also kind of intended to be like that. Like she wanted the nameless egg. But, like, if they all died in the process, so be it. Um, No skin off her back. Uh, And it also really, really unfortunate that there were, you know, you had Bacana, you had... That's his name, I keep forgetting his name. (laughs) uh, You had Shay, 
um, all of whom kind of had this a little extra effect from Planet X where they're like like tingly suddenly really feeling <laughs> in tune with the galaxy it made um, it made Vulcana horny and I'm like sorry <laughs> when I looked up what that man looked like I'm like Marta I can't I the can't. way when I first get off the ship Marta's like I'm in love with him and I was and like, I'm like yeah, girl calm down ma'am <laughs> no, they were making out and I was like are we gonna is this how we get baby Ro? like please literally, tell me literally, this is not it it's <laughs> gonna happen eventually yeah um trying so hard to not go on my Shay tangent yet um it and we see that like about half of the group were disappeared um they were fine but you know, as we learned in um in uh nameless terror comic series but well, most some of them were fine. Um, but, um, you know, we still see them blip out of existence. Um, but we also see that, like, if they hadn't gone to Planet X and survived, one, they wouldn't have had all the extra nameless eggs, which, like, Night of Sorrows would have gone way differently. Um, but two, um, we see that, you know, inspired by the force and planet X and its weird effects flowing through, we see Shay kind of come up with what kind of seems like the proto path drive and also come up with this impossible hyperspace route just off the top of her head. Um, and also she's pregnant and also she's thinking of naming the baby Mari. Um, and she's like, she keeps, you know, worrying that like, oh, what if Planet X had some kind of effect on the baby? I think it did. <laughs> I think it did. Oh my Craziest God. Twist. Jaw on the floor when that happened. I was like. It's funny because I spent the entire book, like once we start realizing that she might be pregnant, I was like, who who's like who is gonna be come as a result of this like who in phase one is she related to and I didn't even think about Mari Santeco which is like the obvious choice and then it got to the end and she was like yeah I'm playing the name of Mari and I was like oh my god are you <laughs> kidding me uh, yeah an absolute jaw drop moment that little reveal at the end uh because you know throughout the book you were slowly they slowly added on the um, oh she's gently touching her belly and like if you read a lot of books you or watch a lot of consume a lot of media in general you're immediately like mm, no no afab person ever touches their belly randomly just like how no one ever coughs randomly um if someone coughs they have tuberculosis and will die by the end of this piece of media and if someone touches their belly, they are pregnant and will, and it will be relevant. Um, also, like if someone conspicuously turns down a drink, they're pregnant. But like that's getting into other things. He has been it, reading a lot of romance novels recently. I've been reading a lot of romance novels. <laughs> um, <laughs> if I had a nickel for every third act pregnancy reveal. Um, but yeah, the reveal that like, all of this has been kind of leading up to, oh, also Shay's gonna be the mother, maybe grandmother, you know, the kid could be a boy and it could skip a generation. Um, 
of Mari Santeca from phase one. Um, and then tying that in with where Path of Vengeance leaves off from Marta Rowe, who has has the leveler and the uh, gaze electric, which we haven't even mentioned yet, and Sexy um, and a complex about the Jedi <laughs> and a uh, chip on her shoulder about never getting her due. Yeah, yeah, I can see where the Nihil came from. I can see where Markian got it. When in the what's that uh, YA anthology called the sto- stories of light and life, right? Tales of light and life. Tales of light and life. When that when the Marta story is Marta and Shea meeting up again, then like then you'll see. Then you'll see. <laughs> then you'll see. <laughs> we've connected the dots. <laughs> then we'll see. Um, a person we have only mentioned in passing, who's kind of a central character of these books, the mother. Um, she's you kind mean, of a central you mean character. My of... sexy lady. So I yes, would... I mean mommy. Yeah, mommy. Um, the mommy. Mommy. Terrifying. <laughs> Definitely something. Um. Is normally, I would issue? say, but like, I feel like my mommy. She's gotten in the way of it a little bit. I'm like, <laughs> you intrigue me, and I'm like, I shouldn't be intrigued by you. She's not even really a mommy at first. She's like maybe thirty. Uh, <laughs> That's the thing is, people were like when her like last name first got revealed people were like oh is she like olivia's mother and i'm like i don't think she's old enough to be her mother right. she's like maybe 30 and olivia i also like, thought olivia was a lot younger to late 20 yeah i thought for olivia some... was gonna be like a teenager at first and then she yeah, yeah. and then she it. wasn't and i was like oh i'm reading the book and they're like older woman i was like oh so she's not a teen okay cool there's um nice. so by the end of the book um Alicia is definitely she's moved out of MILF territory and into guilt territory I will say oh hell yeah um but normally I would say we love a woman who's driven by spite and revenge but in this case I don't think we can stand her I do (laughs) I think the breaking point for me was when it gets revealed that she's been like poisoning the people of Dalna just like casually on the side. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, girly uh, pop, which, what was the reason? Which really makes you think about Apari Pluth. Um, yeah. I think about her all the time. I think about Apari a lot. Um, I'm sorry that you had to marry Worth Pluth. <laughs> I'm sorry. That, I'm sorry that the Pluth family all have the most names. No, literally. Like, who's naming their child Worth? I can't with that. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> Elysia really is a uh, your quintessential cult leader. She's just in it for personal vendetta. She's just in it for personal gain. Um, but she's she sexy, very clearly, so it works. She very clearly, this is going into Battle of Jetta, but also touches it is touched in path of vengeance um she very clearly doesn't actually believe in any of this she just wants the jedi to pay for not taking her when she was a kid it's so petty it's it a- is it's so funny but i i was like because so <laughs> i was like what did the jedi do to you oh they just took your sister not you that's it all right it's cool. not, she's not even mad like oh the jedi took my sister from me she's mad because she's like it should have been me which is literally okay uh, my theory was that she was gonna be one of those like 
the Jedi are kidnappers, people, and they like right. took my sister. But no, she literally was just like, it should have been me instead. And I was like, girl, shut up. Because like we see the characters across other Star Wars who are like, oh, you know, uh, even across phase two, who are like, oh, you know, like, yes, the Jedi are no, the Jedi aren't just kidnapping children, but like it is still like a touchy subject. And like, you know, in Obi-Wan Kenobi, we had Obi-Wan being like, oh, sometimes I think about I get flashes of my birth family and like I miss them and you know, it's kind of a mildly traumatic memory. Um, or like Vildar Mac and Kevmo Zink, who are both literally traumatized and then taken in by the Jedi. Um, or um, to even go into one that, you know, is similar but not related to the Jedi, um, Thrawn being affected by his sister getting taken into the Skywalker program. Um can you tell that I've been blasting through the Thrawn books? Um, yeah, Arya, because she has not touched any of the Thrawn books. <laughs> I've read the first up the one. Borica lore from being friends with Mac. I don't I, know what you're doing. I've picked up the Borica lore. I still have no idea who the fuck Borica is, but I know the lore Great. from Mac. That's all you need to um, know. Oh, no. yeah, that's all you need to know. Um, but she is so different from that because. Like, well, that is a very understandable thing. And maybe, maybe, like, deep at her core, if she, like, went to a bunch of therapy and talked through her feelings, maybe the root of her feelings is she's sad that her sister got taken, period. It's still a weird motivation to drive you to kill that many people. I create a full-on cult. <laughs> to kill that many innocent people. To poison the well. And to p- use old and sick people as a human shield. To manipulate a poor boy with mommy and daddy issues. Well, a rich boy with mommy and daddy rich issues. Rich boy with but... mommy. <laughs> you just gave me a thought, Leah. In an alternate universe, the Obi-Wan series is actually about Obi-Wan's brother turning into the mother and hunting him <laughs> because he w- wasn't taken and Obi-Wan was. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. Yeah, Obi-Wan's brother. Lucas the Phil, Grand Inquisitor. <laughs> brother. <laughs> Lucas um, Phil, please hit us up. We have an idea for Kenobi season two. It's happening. But yeah, Elysia Zeveron. Very interesting antagonist. And I like that she is both the same. Because uh the core question that like inspired the story of the High Republic thus far that we know of from the Luminous team is like, what are the Jedi afraid of? What makes the Jedi afraid? Um, and like in phase one, it's, you know, very clearly uh, being cut off from the force because like the Jedi know, we know how the Jedi react to the dark side, but we've never really seen before the Jedi reacting to suddenly not having the force. Um, but um, the mother goes back to kind of something that we've seen scares the Jedi before, which is um, people hating them, people thinking that what they're doing is bad and wrong. Um, we saw a little bit of that throughout the Clone Wars, but this definitely dives into it like a lot 
And I think that the mother is a really good kind of locus for that story. If you told me in like 2019 that the answer to the question, what do the Jedi fear would be like this petty lady who started a cult, I don't think I'd believe you. (laughs) (laughs) It works. It works. Who started a cult that eventually accidentally led to space pirates that wreak havoc across the galaxy a hundred years later because she accidentally raised a child in said cult that went batshit crazy and started a band of pirates. Right. That's the the other thing. We're so used to stories in Star Wars of like some grand orchestrator, puppet master, Palpatine pulling the string. Everything that leads from her to Markeon is completely an accident on her face. She, in fact, actively did not want Marta to become as important and powerful and influential and, and like, streetwise as she became. I wonder Um, who the mother is. I wonder if he, like... Probably not. Yeah, Marta probably would have kept that from him. (laughs) Yeah. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he knew who the Herald was, but not who the mother was. I mean, did you see was this one guy in the Herald? In like the Herald and the children's outfits in the main run, those were like they were not yeah, like the masks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were yeah. They were they were very clearly not all. Um you can see the through the through line. Yeah. And I mean, we had even we had the very clear connection to the Nihil, even just in the iconography of this group, which, like, we knew this going in, you know, from when we first got the art and stuff, where we saw the three wavy lines across uh, their foreheads, um, we were like, that seems a little similar to how the Nihil like to mark themselves with uh, with blue lines. Um, which blue, not a super common, like, color to denote villainy. Um, Especially in Star Wars. It's always um, red. It's always red. Um, but, um, you know, we, we had that at first. And then at the end of Path of Deceit, Marta has her big moment and she does the straight lines down her face. And then um, towards the end of this phase, we had the jagged lines and the Path of the Closed Fist. And uh, the Path of the Closed Fist they fought like Nihil. Um, they did. They fought dirty and they fought uh, like they didn't care about their own lives, which they didn't. Um, and they fought, yeah, they were the storm. Yeah, oh, just such a good through line <laughs> into phase one. So well connected. I think it's just great because you have like, the whole time in phase one with Martian Rowe, you're like, okay, something happened with his family where they like hate Jedi. Like, what did the Jedi do to them? I can't wait to find out. And then in the end, it's like the Jedi kind of did nothing to them. They're just petty. They just are mad for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> the Jedi like, did all nothing the Jedi to did them. was like fall in love with Marta and then die. And she was like, wow, I'm going to kill people for the rest of my wow, life. Wow, I can't believe the Force did this. Um, yeah because you manipulated the force and this caused you to all die and all those bad things happened because you manipulated the force Jedi are evil they're causing all the bad stuff and you're like I just am like okay. the whole times Marta is so close to like seeing reason and then she goes completely in the opposite direction and I'm like oh like you were literally so close like when she's like wait 
the leveler is like killing innocent children that's bad i'm gonna like do something about it and then at the end she's like oh, but the jedi still need to die though for sure and i'm like yeah I'm like, girl or, or uh we or in path of vengeance even when it's not the leveler where it's like oh my gosh i can't believe that the mother would send children with backpacks full of bombs to blow this place up and it's like oh the kid's force sensitive <laughs> go die then kid uh, <laughs> the way she got i keep i keep forgetting his name because i just don't want to think about Bacana? him yeah, like when he's just like <laughs> accidentally using the force, like he doesn't realize he's doing it, and she just goes ape shit on him. And I'm like, yeah. really? Sometimes people are just force sensitive and they don't know what they're doing. They think it's just their instincts. Hence oh, why Anakin goodness. Skywalker was so good at flying as a nine year old because he was using the force without realizing it. Like, yeah. And I'm like, this is the second force sensitive person you have fallen in love with. And you're still like, man, before you just need to die. And I'm like, um, yeah. <sighs> Path Marcus, of Vengeance oh. really gave. Oh, sorry. No, no, go, go. Path of Vengeance really gave the minor, slightly force sensitive Gluff Shittos <laughs> with Bokana, Utalir, and um, Shaganandra. Like, <laughs> wow. That's my favorite brand of character right there. And now I have three more of that. Now I have three more. When, when Markeon Rowe falls in love with a force sensitive in phase three, I feel like. Then we'll, you will we'll, see. Don't trade at this point, right? He'll get it eventually. Yeah. And we haven't even talked about how queer these books are. So um, don't even get me started on the polycule. I will not stop. There's. <laughs> there's we do have an unambiguous canon polycule with fell x sure, we do have Erdahl. an actual canon one um we have um all of the like core three protagonists of each book are queer um marta's by yana's probably a lesbian at least a you lesbian. Know, she's sapphic uh maddie is sapphic uh have mo is pan uh we've got non-binary characters we've got background gays excellent queer representation uh not that i expect any less from justina ireland tessa gratton and kevin scott um <laughs> the people who gave us vernestra Rowe and sylvester yarrow and jordana sparkburn and sky graph and uh so and just they know what they're doing um it's a shame that so many of the queer characters died but that's yeah it's not barrier gays when most of the cast are gay <laughs> it's really uh, not most of the cast are dead <laughs> it's, exactly like there's no discrimination it doesn't matter who you are in the higher public you'll probably you will die dying. and you will die but it's also the fact that uh Path of Deceit is very much like centered on these two love stories of Kevmo and Marta um, and Kor and Yana. And uh, both of them are just so well written. And you see how these characters, like in a kinder galaxy, would have been so happy together and would have found, would have worked through their issues together. Uh, but the galaxy is not kind and um the mother is not kind and the leveler likes to eat jedi and 
that isn't the Star Wars experience. Oh it would have worked out in a kinder, kinder galaxy. It would have worked out in a kinder galaxy. Ain't that just the way? Hey, <laughs> as, a, as an adult duology enjoyer, I did win in this. <laughs> Which we'll get to. We should probably move on from these the books because we have that talked I have. about them for a long time. Yeah, the fact that there were significantly more death in the young adult than there was in the adult in this phase was kind of crazy to me. Which it's is great crazy. for the adult duology. <laughs> really good like, for the I adult duology. I suffered last phase. Um, so really bad for Ada Forte enjoyers. Really bad. Should we go into the um, adult duology and Battle of Jeddah? Speaking of yeah. gay people, Fonte was literally raised by lesbians. That's why he's such a good person. So true. <laughs> Oh my god, I literally don't even know where to start here. Um, yeah, this is where me and Claire go insane. The beginning's fine. a good yeah. place. The convergence really got, like, the way it got me so hooked on those four characters being Axel, Gella, Fontu, and Ziri. Specifically, like, I was one of the people who in the, like, concept art of Axel Greylark and the synopsis of Convergence first dropped, I was like, I hate your guts, man. And then I read the book and I was like, wow. Wow. I've never been so wrong in my life. (laughs) Like, I actually care about you so much. And even, like, throughout Cataclysm, he is repeatedly, like, making mistakes and being an idiot and just, like, messing up everything in his life. And I'm like, why am I still rooting for you? Like, I should not be rooting for you at this point. It's self-awareness of it and that he hates himself as it's happening. And I'm just like... Yeah, I really losing the poll yesterday. Oh no, I know. I'm literally reading Path of Vengeance. Like Maddie, I want to love you, but you beat Axel. (laughs) No, I was like, sorry to be a bad like queer woman, but (laughs) voting for Axel. (laughs) Sorry, Maddie, I'm a you. Is this where I admit that I also voted for Axel? Yes. I felt so bad. I was like, I love oh. Maddie. I love Maddie so much, but this I am excellent. a sucker for a good, messy parent-child relationship. So true. That's like still, still, they very clearly love each other, even if they don't always like each other. Exactly. No. And oh my god. What was going on with Binot and Axel? Oh my god. <laughs> okay. The way that the way that when I forget who it was brings up Binot to Kiong and she's like, I don't know who that is. And I'm like, it's giving like your secret boyfriend that you had when you were in like high school. You didn't tell your mom about and he actually turned out to be a toxic asshole, but like he was kind of your first like gay love. So you have to still go along with what he said. I the relationship yeah. between the two of them was literally crazy. I was like, and I'm not supposed to believe that they are ex-boyfriends. No, they are. I, since we're talking about Binot, I am obsessed with that terrible man, specifically with his, um, his Chekhov's glove. Because from the second that it was like, oh, he's got a poison glove. I was like, he's going to, he's going to die on his own glove. Yeah. (laughs) That glove, like something about that glove and Binot, I don't know. I like saw his name and I was like, oh. Binot, and then I'm, wait, Binot, maybe. I think there's just always something in Star Wars about, like, when weapons get used that are not, 
like lightsabers or blasters like i actually to go back to path of vengeance for a second when the herald has that like gun that shoots actual projectiles and not Mm -hmm. and the jedi are like what are we supposed to do against these and yeah like the poison is always a good one and even just like like knives and blades that are not yeah i think it's like when someone gets killed by like a knife in star wars it feels more impactful because we're so used to like lightsaber and blaster fights that i love when there's a weapon that is not just something we typically see in star wars so yeah the poison glove i was like I hate, that, I hate that Binot Olo is the one who got to have a poison glove. Like, let someone else yeah. have that. Yeah. Leah, I almost said sick Sintakaz reference, like, at the same time. No, literally, yeah. though. When Star Wars characters are like, no, actually, I have a knife. I'm like, ah, oh, so true. That's you what, know, yeah. we should get into the meat and potatoes of the adult duology. And that is, um, and that is, uh Creighton no that is the Romeo and Juliet but happy ending love story for the heirs of Iram and Arano, Fantuzen and Ziri Alberon. Don't even joke about Creighton's son though. I have things to say about that man. I, I love him, but I also have a vendetta against him at this point because of the, the very end when he decided, let's not talk about this ever. And I'm like, Crane, what? Look, I just have to blame Yoda for that one because I already blame Yoda for a lot of things. And son, like, that is my man. When, oh my God. Okay, sorry to Charo Roy that you had to, like, die for this to happen. But when Enya Keen became Creighton's son's Padawan, I was like, they no. did this one for yeah. me personally. I was no, screaming was and I was like, Man, I shouldn't be this happy because like they both lost someone really close to them. But like, wow, I no, love that was. I just remember I was sitting in the hype house. Leah's sitting right across from me reading something. No, you're reading Cataclysm, but you're far yeah. a lot earlier than I was. And I at that at that point I gasped aloud. And Leah just looks at me and I'm like, I can't tell you, but <laughs> like it's just me. <laughs> Every this the moment. way that people felt about like Vildar becoming Maddie's master, that's how I felt about Creighton's son becoming Enya's master. Whoever suggested Charlie Cox as Creighton's son in live action, whoever suggested that, they're so real. They're so real. That's all I think about now when I hear Creighton's son. <laughs> anyway, back to my beloveds. <laughs> um, I knew I was going to be obsessed with them the moment that Fontuzen saved her from the water and the first thing she does is tackle him to the ground and put a knife at his throat and I was like Zareta I know you're a romance writer because only a romance writer writes that kind of shit I'm gonna become obsessed with them I'm in trouble and here we are like eight months later and I'm they're all I think about still it's it's fine I didn't sure I did buy elemental plushies at Disney World because they look like Fontu and Ziri because I'm normal. But is it, where do we start? I don't know, man. They had the meat cute and then him being like, I'm not going to hurt you and then her giving him his Bane Blade, her Bane Blade, which is like the biggest deal ever. The Bane Blade thing. Speaking of knives in Star Wars, I'm obsessed with Bane Blades. I need one. I need my Ziri Bane Blade so badly. Just... I was so sure that the Bane Blades were going to be like um, the Chris Knives from Dune 
and it was going to be like, oh, you've seen it now. Like, either you have to become one of us or I have to kill you. Um, it wasn't, but it was still kind of similar. Um, so as a Dune fan, big soft spot for Arano. Um, Arano is very Arrakis-coded. Um, it is. <laughs> yeah. Bantu and Ziri, man. Only they, couple ever. They literally are. And even, yeah, reading Convergence, I was like, this book has, like, every romance trope ever in it. And I'm eating it up, personally. Because I love, like... Like, I don't read a lot of just, like, pure romance novels. But there's nothing I love more than, like, a fantasy or a sci-fi novel with, like, a really good romance in it. Because I'm like, that's what I need. And especially in Star Wars... And, like, yeah, especially, I mean, The High Republic has a lot of good, like, romances um, in many different ways. But this one was just, like, pure, like, totally filled with romance novel tropes. And I was, like, thank God, honestly, because, like, I'm really, and, yeah, like, obviously, like, I'm a Fontu and Ziri girly. But even, like, Della and Axel, I was, like, man, I'm feeling really emotional about these two. <laughs> Not just, and then you get all four of them. Like, every time I reread the book, I'm, like, maybe I made up the polycule. No, I did not. No, it's so real. So right up, but it the, the, it was a foursome. They did something. All four of them, which is my one complaint about Cataclysm, is it was not one scene with all four of them together. Yeah. I was like, Lydia, I asked for one thing, and you just that's the one thing you didn't give me. I needed all four of them to have a moment together, and then they didn't. But oh my god, yeah, convert, yeah. It's okay because Lydia gave us uh because Dr. Kang gave us um. Axel having a tummy ache and being very not brave about it. Not brave about it. Also, not to I mean, not to brag or anything, but like also Lydia like recognized me at Star Wars Celebration out of cosplay the next morning yeah. and got excited and ran to us to come talk to us. So I yeah. do have that going for me. But she she gave us um Axel Greylark at peak mommy issues. Yeah. Um but she actually, did. like, getting some positive movement on resolving his underlying issues. Um, we love growth. Um, also, Young Greylark out- is really not a character I expected to, like, love as much as I did. But by the end of Cataclysm, like, when she literally resigns as Chancellor to go. No, oh, my God. I was oh like. My God. <laughs> No, it I'm was sorry, like, but Lena could never. I was literally like, never. This no, is so it's the, it's the way that... never would have greenlit that stupid Republic fair. I'll tell you that much. No, oh my god, it's the way that I was at the airport picking up my girlfriend, and I was like, I need to finish this chapter, and I got to that part, and I'm standing in front of her, going like, Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, <laughs> and then Maggie's just like, What? What? I'm like, I can't tell you, but oh my god. No, that was crazy. She did it for Axel. That, that actually even Axel's like, wait, team. you love me, like <laughs> mother, badass in the battle too. Like good for her. No, she's good like, for her. No, that, but Lydia proved that only an Asian woman could write that sort of relationship between an Asian woman and her son. Mm-hmm. like that's the reason it was so like I was like yeah. why did this hit so good I'm like oh because Lydia is literally Asian that's why this hit so she actually hard. gave it like nuance uh, rather yeah. than mm-hmm. like oh boy with mommy issues has mommy issues and it's like okay I've seen that before but like what if we actually kind of like dive into that and also give 
his mother a perspective on it too especially when it's a situation where like his father is dead which is obviously very traumatic for him and for her and so obviously they are both going to have a different perspective on that and I love that Mm -hmm. we actually got her side of it as opposed to just getting Axel being like "Mm, I hate my mom she's the worst and it's like okay and having her like reach out to him and be like hey I have not been the mother that you needed me to be. I'm going to start. I'm going to do that now. And it's like, that is so good. Also, shout out to Dr. Keg for writing, for being a like medical doctor and thus writing the most accurate injuries in any Star Wars ever. Um, every time a character got injured, I was like, yeah, this was written by a medical doctor. <laughs> this is written by someone who knows like what injuries do to people. Because um, so often in Star Wars, as in like really any fiction, like injuries are kind of set dressing and can be used for like storytelling effect. But in this one, it was like, oh, no, that is actually what would happen to you if you got stabbed. And that is actually what would happen to you if you were put on a planet with additional air pressure. <laughs> let Dr. Kang write more Star Wars. Let please. Dr. Kang write let Dr. Kang write something with Chasna Chaddock and Erica Quell. You're so real for that. <laughs> so real uh, for Chasna Chaddock and Erica Quell. Shout out to uh, my girlies who are uh recognizing uh lgbtqia pride month and disability pride month back to back <laughs> so anyway ziri and fontu fire made uh that wedding scene lives rent free in my head as we all know i love it so much i made a fucking dress out of it <laughs> yeah that wedding scene changing (laughs) i'm just like i'm madly in love with you good i was like i love you i know you're dead to me now like i don't they're like actively like fighting people and killing people like at their wedding too and then she jumps into a starfighter and flies around in her in her wedding gown as a pilot enthusiast we all know this i was losing my mind like, what do you mean this woman just got married and now she's in a starfighter? There's also that out. moment in Cataclysm where they're, like, stranded in space. Stop! And no! And like, okay. I would do it a- over a million times just to end up here with you. And I was like, love is so real. <laughs> they actually reminded me that, like, love is real and not, and, like, you know what? They made me believe in love again. That's what they did. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, and also he hates flying. But he was willing to get into this really rickety starship that could have easily exploded in space because she was flying it. And I'm just like... Because when I was first reading uh, Cataclysm and Fontu, like, he gets injured, so he, like, stays behind. And I was like, if he's not about to be in this novel, I'm going to start throwing hands. Same, and they're same. On and he's like, hey! And I was like, oh I'm my actually, god. He's like, hey, I was actually hiding in the ship the whole time. And Ziri's like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> Also, I wouldn't be me if I didn't say it, but they are very Katniss Everdeen and Peter Millard coded. And then I'm going to come Is in that and say why I love all- them. They are also very Who's Prince that? Eric Ariel coded. Convergence is literally just the Little Mermaid 2023 down to Fontu and Eric both being adopted and having 
like being really close to their mother figure it's fine um, <laughs> yeah yeah I love them a lot I get very sad about the fact that we will probably never see them again I know I'm hoping for a single single mention in phase three we're so- in passing they're like oh yeah I remember when those like rulers they got married and then they like stopped the war for like a hot second that was cool that's how <laughs> I need from phase three <laughs> They feel very historically important. I'm sure they'll get mentioned yeah. in something. More than Raph and Alec. Sorry, not to bring that up, um, them up right now, but. <laughs> You're great. Um, um, I. Thoughts about the Battle of Jeddah? Battle of Jeddah. Yeah. I was there for all of the times Creighton was the number one Ziri Fontu shipper. Like every time he mentioned them, he like and he was like, "I wish they could be here, but I'm glad they actually have time to like be a couple." And I was like, "Okay, Creighton." Yeah. Okay. Yeah, unsurprisingly, you, this was the one that got me to love Creighton's son. I do. Brief side note: so around the time Battle of Jeddah came out, and I was like, "I'm obsessed with Creighton's son." There was one of those like tweets going around that was like, sh- "Like show your favorite Jedi from Phase One and Phase Two. And mine was Elzar Man and Creighton Son. And I looked at the two of them next to each other and I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad for me. Um, yeah. Uh, Battle of Jeddah. Um, I actually enjoyed it. I know a lot of people didn't, but I did. Yeah. Battle of Jeddah. Um, Battle of Jeddah is kind of the unofficial middle book of the adult duology in this phase it's 1.5 it is the most jedi centric yeah um because it's it's got three main characters who are all jedi and then Kes. but oh my gosh the jedi are all fantastic Ada Forte, i need her Ada to Forte, take me out with her my shield. queen Cylindra show i need her to take me the out best jedi ever in terms of like being uh, a Jedi. Oh, I need her. Um, no, for real. I need her to take her out with my shield. I would gladly. No, she literally has a shield. Like that. What a way to go! Just wipe and me out with the shield. Salandra, Salandra, never shutting up about how much she loves her Padawan. Stellan Geos <laughs> could never. Stellan uh, could never. <laughs> um, she is the most proud mom of any Jedi, except so for true. maybe Yoramali the most proud mob um and then you know Creighton's son who is also a fantastic jedi um a little salty about him at the end of cataclysm but i'm gonna chalk it up to grief about ada forte because i also made bad decisions after losing ada forte (laughs) Um, (laughs) um but ada it since we're gonna talk about the others are coming up in other books is as well this is really like the main event for ada i don't i i we don't see as many older jedi knights and i always like seeing them um i also really like her relationship with creighton and this actually goes for across like all of the main characters of these adult books and battle of jedi where it's like older people who are still figure not, not older people people in their 30s and older who are still figuring themselves out in a way that's usually relegated to YA books um which again we got a little bit of this in phase one especially with Elzar um 
and kind of towards the end with Stellan where he was like hmm, maybe this whole track I've been on my whole life has been not great for me um but from the start with Gela and Axel and Ziri and Fonz Ziri and Fonz were a little younger um they're like, I mean, they're like they're still late 20s though like, they're, they're still not late 20s. young and I mean they're young but like but they're not, not young like, by yeah. book standards they're not yeah. like Star Wars protagonists they're not like, Star Wars 19 protagonists. year olds yeah <laughs> exactly. they're like I think they're like 28 29 yeah so like they're uh, close to 30 Ada Creighton Solandra also are like they're all people who have had setbacks and who have you know they've they've advanced a lot in their stuff and they've also been held back and fallen back and failed and they're learning who they are after failures um I really love seeing that kind of story I love seeing people who are constantly learning and growing throughout their life whether they're 20 whether they're a 20 year old teenager like Enya Keen or a 30 year old teenager like Gela Natai or a 40 year old teenager like Creighton's son. Creighton's son really does have the most 40 year old teenager energy as if he really does. <laughs> yeah. That's why Creighton's son is a 40 year old teenage girl. He, oh, he no. is. That's why him and Gala get along so well. <laughs> was, like, okay, the first time I read. Convergence. I don't know why, but I didn't. I hadn't realized that Creighton's son was the person on the cover of Battle of Jeddah. So in my head, he was like significantly older. Same. And I saw that cover and I was like, that's Creighton's son. Uh, like, recontextualized this whole novel. Yeah, rereading Cataclysm, not Cataclysm, Convergence after Battle of Jeddah was life changing. So I'm like, ah, I now have an attachment to Creighton's son now. Cool. Yeah. Time. Also in Battle of Jeddah, we have Kath Serapath, ah. um, who we first meet in the Insider stories, um, which I have not read all of them. Read first couple that introduced Kath um, and P3. Um, Kath is just a good boy. <laughs> He's just a sweet boy. And he deserves better. Fun. He does. He's the Kev Mozink of the adult trilogy where he he's just the Kev Mozink. Yeah. He's he's there to he's the Kev Mozink. He's the Orin Darga. He's the, the Orin Darga. Uh, Darga. He's the um Regald Call. He is the too pure for this world. In a kinder galaxy, he would have just lived a happy life. And instead he lived and he died, and he didn't live long he enough. Served, served, con, died. <laughs> his like final part about like wanting his story to be told and like being written. Like, I was like, I was like, I was like, oh, I like Keth throughout. I wasn't like he wasn't a standout for me. But when we got to that, I was like, oh, like that just like that hit. That was oh, yeah. And so for being like. Yes, hundred percent. Like I got you. <laughs> and and how happy he was when Solandra compared him to Rupert when she was like, "Oh, you remind me of my Padawan." He was like, "Really?" <laughs> yeah, Solandra's like attachment and care for him was really one of the best parts of Battle of Jedi. Yeah, yeah. 
Solandra has a bad record of attaching to young people and them dying horribly. Um, Poor Mills. <laughs> suddenly I'm worried for her and Rufa's story in um, Tales of Light and Life. But you even think about that book. It's going to be so bad on so many fronts. Oh, I'll save more Rupert and Solange talk for later. <laughs> All right. Any final Battle of Jeddah adult duology thoughts? One of, one of my favorite Axel moments was when Gala just slammed him into a wall and started choking him. And he was just like, what a glorious way to die. Let's go. <laughs> Literally, that was so funny. He was just like, wow, I hope I die right now. Glory, glory, Wada. He's just so pathetic, and I love oh, that. He's a uh, The adult oh. duology is really two books about um, men getting manhandled by their crushes. By their crushes, yeah. It's just so funny because Axel and Fontu could not be more different. It's like, here's how you should respond to a gorgeous, sexy, powerful woman. And here's how you should it. But also right. at the same time, they flirt with each other. Truth. Like, Absolutely. Yeah, we needed more Fontu and Axel. Wait, exactly. That's what I wanted for more in Cataclysm because their relationship was so great. And Convergence, just like them going from absolutely hating each other because Fontu's just like, you're everything I don't want to be. Like, I want to punch you in the face. But then by the end, they're like sparring for fun and bickering with each other. And Axel literally gets stabbed by a fucking scorpion <laughs> instead of fun too. But like, the thing is, right before that happened, he was like, oh, do you want me to show you like how to do it on your wedding night? Like, do you know how to do that? And Fontu's just like, why the fuck do I talk to you ever? Like, <laughs> like he still took like, a hit from a scorpion for this guy and i'm like this is so homoerotic right now <laughs> i feel like in the way that phase one was really good representation of like super messy people phase two was really good representation for like really horny people because it was there were a lot of I, they, yeah i felt so seen like jira <laughs> saros you're in the wrong phase girl <laughs> I was not expecting the Gio Staros mention. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> but it felt um, right. <laughs> shout out to the Staros family. Um, yeah. Worried about you guys. Not Gira, but Avon specifically. <laughs> and Sana. And the Staroses are always kind of struggling. Um, it's because Jira Staros hooked up with Marcion Rowe and then they're, fa- they're just like still out, like living through the karma of that. First, the bloodline. Sana Staros, my favorite <laughs> one thirty second ever any. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! Anyway, we can't talk about Jira Staros. I know I brought her up, Jira. but we can't do it. <laughs> but that um, was almost talked about Afro, which anyways, anyways, <laughs> we really can't do that. We really can't go down that route. Thanks so much for listening to Fulcrum Transmissions. Please feel free to send us questions. You can DM them to us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. Also, if you have any girl bosses you'd like us to do an episode on, you can send those in as well. If you enjoy our podcast, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'd really appreciate it. Once again, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye.